Well, it's Sunday number four, and fortunately I haven't detected a significant decrease in the attendance, so I'm grateful for that. Um, I truly uh, am uh, grateful to all of you for inviting me to be here, particularly the session, and for Anthony. We continue to pray for him and his family as they wrap up their sabbatical. I'm delighted you're going to have a, a special due for them when they get back. But it's been an honor and a privilege for me to be here with you. It's been an encouragement to see your uh, zeal, uh, your excitement, uh, your newness of spirit. Uh, it's a wonderful thing. And in a world that continues to seem to be making wrong decisions, it is so refreshing to be around a group of people who have made a lot of right decisions. And I thank you again for allowing me to uh, bring God's Word to you for these four Sundays. And um, this morning we're going to be in chapter 4 of First Peter. We're going to look at verses 1 through 11. Uh, but before I do that, uh, I just want to give you a very quick review to remind you that in our um, first look at First Peter, we talked about uh, how weird we really are when compared to the rest of the world and their values and how they spend their time and who they make friends with, we as Christians are quite different. And it is a defining characteristic of who we are. It gives us great dignity. It gives us a great sense of purpose in who we are. Thank you, sir. And it also allows us to know our rights as children of God, as sons and daughters of the living God. Those belong to us, and nobody can take that dignity away from us in Jesus Christ. No matter what they may say or do, we are secure in Him. That was our first message. Secondly, I continued on that uh, lesson upbeat theme, I suppose, by telling you all that you needed to submit. And uh, that is a word that none of us likes to hear by nature. But because we have these rights, Christ tells us we are to lay them to the side and we're to submit to authorities and especially to his authority. And in that submissiveness to bear witness to Christ and his love to those who don't know him. And then last week, we looked at how to grow the church, that we have our identity of who we are. Uh, we have a submission to Christ, and we live that out in a system that God has established in his word for us. And to grow the church is a matter of making ourselves more winsome, that it's not a matter of prosperity, it's not a matter of education, but it's a matter of winsomeness reaching out to include others into this life that Christ has given us together. And today we're going to look at how we are commanded by the Apostle Peter to love deeply. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, Arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. Now I want to pause right there to clarify that a bit. Peter seems to have these few verses throughout this epistle that make you kind of scratch your head and say, wait a minute, uh, just because I have suffered doesn't mean I'm done with sin. I'm finished with sin. I know I continue to sin. And John tells us that in his epistle, if we say we are not sinners, we lie, because we all are. So what is Peter saying? Aha, we get to go back to the Greek and define what that verb is that's been translated that says done with sin, 
And there is another English word that I think more accurately captures that, and it is hinder. So that he who has suffered in his body has hindered sin. Now think about that. As you suffer for doing right, which is what he's been talking about throughout this epistle, you are hindering sin in your life because you're not giving in to what is wrong to avoid suffering. You are choosing to do right and accept the consequences of that if necessary, and it hinders sin in your life. There's no room for disobedience if we're obeying even though we're suffering. That's the thrust of what Peter is saying in that first verse. Verse 2. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They think it strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to men in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of God. Let us pray. Father, we now ask for your special mercy as we hear these words, as we think about these phrases, that you'll illumine our hearts and minds and sink your truth deep into our lives so that we will be changed by this, your word, that we will find a renewed sense of joy, of love, of forgiveness, of hope, because it is placed in you. In Christ's name we ask, amen. As we've looked in this whole epistle of 1 Peter, I'm struck with the fact that two things are coexisting side by side that really seem a bit strange until you think about it. And those two things are suffering and love. Suffering and love, these are qualities that are normal in a Christian walk. 
And sometimes we don't get those together. We, we are aware of suffering and how we might hurt either physically or emotionally or spiritually. And we know about love and how wonderful, how bright and good and positive that is. But to think of them together is a little odd. At least it struck me as that way as I was looking at this in this particular passage. Suffering and loving are both parts of a normal Christian life. It's what we're supposed to be going through. We should not be surprised at either one. And we are encouraged by Peter to have the same attitude that was in Christ. And as we look at his life in the Gospels, we realize that's exactly what happened with Jesus. He suffered because he was obedient to his heavenly Father. He suffered because he loved his creation. And he saw what sin had done to a beautiful, perfect thing he had helped bring into being. And he loved with an incredibly deep love that took him through all the pain of his suffering until his resurrection and glorification. That's the attitude that Christ had. He suffered and he loved at the same time. Part of the reason... I believe we're a little concerned about this is because we know from our own experience when we extend ourselves to love someone else, we make ourselves vulnerable. And when we make ourselves vulnerable, it means we can be hurt and nobody likes to be hurt. But it comes with loving. Because we love, we're going to be hurt at some point. We may even feel betrayed. Certainly that happened with Jesus Christ. So if we're having the same attitude that he had, we shouldn't be surprised if that happens too. It hurts because we've opened the doors to our hearts and our souls, not only just in romantic love, but particularly in a God love that we'll talk more about in a few minutes. It opens us up to be vulnerable. It opens us up to be hurt even more. And for those of us right now in this country, we're not suffering too much in a physical way because we are Christians. But let me throw this out to you, to look into your own heart and for you to realize how much you suffer because you care about somebody else very deeply and they're making bad decisions. And you and I can't do a thing about it. It hurts. It hurts to see somebody that you love going through suffering themselves. You'd like to take their place, particularly if it's a child or someone that you know is very vulnerable. You'd rather let me suffer. Why them? It's painful to walk in a life of love for God and for other people because in a sense we are joining in Christ's sufferings as we go through that. We care. And when we see things that are painful happening to those that we love, it hurts. That is the cost and the reward for following Jesus Christ. Loving and suffering, hurting. But knowing this, realizing that this is not abnormal... This is part of what it means to be a human being redeemed by Jesus Christ and seeking to follow him helps keep us focused on Jesus Christ himself. 
We don't focus upon ourselves thinking, oh, how this is painful. Oh, I don't like this. This is so awful. When is this going to ever end? Our focus begins to be turned to Christ. Lord, you went through this far more than I have. Give me the strength to go through this as well. So that when other people attack us, when they mock us, they make fun of us, they look down on us, they disregard us, we can turn to Christ to make it right. We've already talked about in earlier uh, messages, it's not for us to strike out for revenge. It's not for us to get even. It's not for us to give payback. It's for us to absorb that and take it to Christ and say, Lord, this is what's happened. Help me to know how to respond. Help me to know what to do because people attacked you and you dealt with it in a perfect way. Suffering is painful. Being attacked is painful. Being slandered is painful. But love endures. Our love for Jesus Christ and His love for us carries us through those times of attack. And they're not constant. They're not all the time, 24-7. We know that, but they do happen. And it does hurt. Sometimes it's only a look. Sometimes it's by words. We look at the wider world picture for other Christians in other countries. It is physical suffering, imprisonment, torture, death, simply because they love Jesus Christ and have asked him to be Lord of their lives. And Peter tells us at the first part of this chapter four that we are not to live for our human desires, but for the will of God. And I'm not going to go through that, but it's that, that rogues list of what once was done by people that are now in the Christian church. The drunkenness, the orgies, the idolatry, whatever. You look at that and it's easy to classify all of that behavior under one category. It's people trying to find pleasure for themselves, trying to find some sort of acceptance, some sort of joy, some sort of release, and they're all dead ends. They are all destructive behaviors to the human body and to the human spirit. But once we come to know Christ, we don't live for those desires anymore. We die to those. And we live to serve God, to know what His will is, and to follow it. Now, there's another way that suffering and loving work together. In verse 8, above all, love each other deeply. Dwell on that for a minute. This is a command. Love each other deeply. Well, what does that mean? Well, he goes on to help a little bit in explanation. Because love covers a multitude of sins. Get that as a picture to love deeply means that it covers a multitude of sins that may have been committed against you or against someone that you love deeply or care about. The only way it does that is because that's the way God loves His creation. He loves us deeply. He loves His creation so deeply we find out in Scripture 
that he agonizes over the fact that it is going through these sufferings until Christ returns in glory. There's a new heaven and a new earth, and everything works as it did at the beginning in Eden before sin came in to ruin it. This is the way God loves his creation, you and me. And I'm not going to go back and read it all, but you can go back and look at 1 Corinthians 13. It's not talking about romantic love, though it certainly is appropriate to read at weddings and other times too. It's talking about agape love, the Greek word for a God love that's different from human emotions. It's a different kind of thing altogether, and we know what it is by reading 1 Corinthians 13, by reading all of Scripture and seeing how God manifests Himself to His creation. Love, when it is extended deeply, forgives. It forgives. And that is powerful. As I went through this, one story... Actually, it is a historical occasion in the life of Jesus came to my mind. I'm going to take the time to read it for you. I don't know if we're going to get it up here or not because it's in Luke uh, chapter 7, verses 36 through 47. Uh, I didn't give it to these folks, but if you've got a Bible or a pew Bible, I'd encourage you to open and read it. This is an incredible passage when you think about the power of love and forgiveness and our lives. Luke 7 36 through 47. This is not a parable. This is a record of historical events. Now, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume and as she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner." And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, well, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. Get this, for she loved much, but he who has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. 
Do you get the dynamic of what that's saying? If you feel unworthy, if you feel that you've messed up so badly, there's no way God could use you or even be interested in you, it's crazy thinking. This is saying exactly the opposite. Here is a woman, it's not spelled out, but we can assume she was probably a prostitute. She lived a sinful life. She was repenting of that in the presence of Jesus Christ, evidenced by her tears, by her wiping his feet, by her kneeling before him with a broken heart. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. For those of us who know the depth of the sin in our hearts, whether other people know how bad we are or not, doesn't matter. Those of us who know the depth of the sin in our own hearts, Understand the incredible love that comes because we're forgiven. God has forgiven all that. He has repaired us. He has mended us. He has strengthened us. He's picked us back up and put us on our feet. We love more because we've been forgiven more. So the deeper you are aware of your unworthiness, the more your joy should increase and grow and your love for other people. And you cannot be judgmental if you realize what has happened in your life and what God has forgiven you for. You can be discerning, you can be wise, but you cannot be judgmental if you truly understand the deep love God has for you and how much he has forgiven you and me. Suffering, loving, and loving deeply means to forgive. Finally, we're to use our gifts that God has given us, spiritual gifts, tangible physical gifts, to serve other people. That's in verse 10. That God will be praised, not us, not calling attention to ourselves, not wanting to proclaim ourselves as somebody great in the world, but simply because we're being obedient, we're being submissive to God, that we will serve them. So that God will be praised and not us. And now I'm going to start poking just a little bit more. This is all great sounding. It's a super theory. But take a moment to look into your own life and into the people around you and see if there's not at least one person, if not more, that you need to forgive, that you need to deeply love and cover a multitude of sins and let it go. One person that has been lonely, has been ostracized, who doesn't know where to turn, and you have not extended yourself to them to love deeply, to be willing to suffer with them, to hurt when they hurt, to be there when they fall, and not to point the finger and say, I told you so, but to put a hand down and say, it's okay. We all fall. Come on, get up. Let's go again. That's what it means to love deeply. Loving. Suffering. Serving. The crazy thing is, that's what brings joy in the Christian life. If you're not having joy in your Christian life, look to your own heart and see what's going on because something is not right. 
And if we want to achieve great recognition, what does Christ say we're to do? Be the servant of all. Not calling attention to yourself, but caring for them. And that brings joy. We have been redeemed by Christ. We have been set free. We've been given gifts. We've been given dignity. And we're to use that not to proclaim how great we are, but to humbly wash the feet of others as Christ washed his disciples' feet. And that's where the joy comes from. And it only gets deeper and wider and lasts longer as we walk the way Christ walked. We are to be like Christ. To love deeply, to suffer deeply, to forgive deeply, you'll change the world. You'll change the world because Christ did and he's changed us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, words fail us to express our gratitude to you for your love and your patience and your forgiveness in our lives. And oh Lord, forgive us if we've forgotten that. We've allowed our minds and hearts to stray and to look down on others, to think them less worthy. God, have mercy. Once again, help us to love as you love, to suffer as you suffer, to forgive as you forgive. We ask this in Christ's name.